This is Resonance 104.4 FM, flipping marvellous. I'm Nick Hennigan and welcome to another slice of Literary London, uh, not only on Resonance, but of course also on bohemianbritain.com. And, uh, and if you're listening on FM, you'll probably be able to see that once again, we're recording this live, we're in vision. So you can see the re the video of what we're about to have a chat about on um, on various YouTube channels and on bohemianbritain.com. Uh, uh, but it is a great pleasure to introduce someone who I nearly met last summer. You didn't realise this. But it is uh, June Carroll. Hello, June. Hey. Wait, what? If you are watching, by the way, for some reason, I'm, I'm these, I've got something switched on this computer, so little bubbles keep appearing. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, June, because uh, you were talking about your uh, your play, a brilliant play that you've, uh, you you wrote, and we'll talk about that, obviously. Um, yes, that was at the Edinburgh Festival last year, and you did rather well at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe last year, did you not? Yeah, we did. We it was it was exceptional. It was a wonderful experience. It was, and you were there. Yes, I had a play. In fact, if you the thing called "The Birth of Frankenstein," which was on at the, um, which I directed at, uh, uh, in the Pleasance Courtyard, it was rather good. It's alive. I've got to stop saying that because it wasn't like that. It was actually Mary Shelley's story uh, and how the whole Frankenstein thing came about. Um, and so, whereabouts are you now? Where are you talking to to us from now? I am talking to you from Hollywood, California, Los Angeles. Wow, that's very nice. We actually have a. I must say hello to. Uh, where is it? Yeah, oh god, we've had a couple of emails from um there's a there's a a, a a listener in California who always insists she listens always on the beach and the weather's always fine. I can't argue with that, can I? Really? Caff, that's right. So hello, Caff in California. Your kin is here, June. <laughs> so <laughs> just tell us a bit about the play, because it's I mean, it's done extremely well. You want a fringe first. I see you have a quote from a friend of mine called Guy Masterson. Yeah, uh, who is also on BohemianBritain.com. I did a chat with him a few weeks ago. <laughs> uh, he plays he plays uh, is he plays all the characters in a version of a Christmas Carol, which I wrote and directed as well. Um, and in fact, it was in New York. It was on, off Broadway uh, this well, well, in December last year. Um, yeah. Any friend of guys, a friend of mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell us about the play. I mean, it's well, just yeah, tell us about the play because it's uh, it's done really really well, and it's a kind of a gloriously horrible subject, isn't it? In a sense. Yeah, it is. It's a hard subject. Uh, the basic premise is uh, a police interview. A uh, white uh, officer has been involved in the shooting of an unarmed motorist, black motorist during a traffic stop. And a his friend and colleague ends up doing the interview to try and suss out what happened. And what ends up happening is their relationship just sort of, we sort of like watch their relationship fall apart as a result of things that she learns and that he learns about, things they learn about each other. Um, yeah. And it's sort of based around, I mean, because, you know, everyone knows about the George Floyd thing that, that I mean, that that went around the world. That, um, and uh, and of course, in uh, Britain, in England, just today, we're uh, we're we're filming this, uh, we're recording this in February. Uh, these these things hang around for a long time. February 20, uh, 2024, I had to think them for a moment. And there's the terrible news today about Sarah Everard, who was a, who was a, a woman who was killed, a, a white woman killed by a police officer in in London, who was basically the the news has been released today that he should never have been a police officer. The system failed to the point where he was. Uh, there were so many little red flags that were never noticed. Um, and I guess it must, uh, no, I mean, as a, as a sort of a white 
low, I'd say middle-aged, <laughs> towards the end of middle age now. We we it's it's hard for for an you know for 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 us to understand the concept of racism. I mean, having said that, I mean I grew up in Birmingham, and someone said to me a little while ago, we run the Maverick Theatre Companies. You can probably see if you're watching behind me all the paraphernalia. That's where I am now. I'm in their world corporate headquarters, or Yes, broom cupboard as it's better known. Um, and and someone commented about our first youth group that we did in Birmingham in, in the English Midlands uh, was a real mix of, of of races and characters. And someone actually commented to me and said, uh, 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 "How on earth did you get that profile?" And I kind of said, "Well, it was just it's our locality. You know, these are the, the people that live here." But it, it's sort of and and I also it's been sort of jumped on as well as some sort of left wing conspiracy. I mean, it must be well. I mean, the reason for doing this. I hope it's not too horribly personal for you. You haven't had to, but I guess everyone uh, suffers um, kind of prejudice. My folks were Irish, you know, and for years. There right. Was, yeah, I mean, in Birmingham, when when my granddad tried to get a place, I mean, there were signs saying no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. And wow. that's, that's not that long ago, is it really, in a, in a sense? No. So what is the reality? What's the reality been like for you? Um, I mean, I'll put it this way. During lockdown, uh, the street that I used to live on, um, you know, you, people would sort of make their escape and try and walk in pods and or, or walk alone just to get out of the house. And it would be, it would be like you walked into a store holding of, I mean, I hate to say it, holding a bomb vest. I would walk and people would give me the the smile that is, oh, I approve that you're here or the double take of what are you doing here? And, um, you know, I suppose it had evolved because when I was younger, it was, you know, I'd be going for a walk and a mother would grab their child's hand, their little child's hand and like sort of yank them, you know, yank them back. Or you could hear car doors locking as you were walking past them. Um, I think that with what happened with George Floyd, um, it got, except suddenly it was, there was proof people of color were saying, this is our experience, but you couldn't prove it. You couldn't prove that encounters with the police were different. And then George Floyd happened. And it had happened a million times before, but um, like with Rodney King, you know, when people were saying, this is happening to us, without the visual proof, people were like, well, it can't be that bad. Or what did you do? What did they do? What did they... I mean, I remember in grad school, I um, I was uh, in my apartment and there was a, a just this, this high-pitched screaming coming from the street. And I'm alarmed. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, some poor woman is in trouble. So I call the police because that's what you do to try to help. And I was like, I don't know if I go outside because it could be something really dangerous and scary, but I'm going to call the police. The police come. It's these two big guys. This was in Rhode Island. Um, these two big guys. Both of them have their nightsticks out. I open the door and the look on their faces, just the, the menace. And they're bound beating their, you know, um, nightsticks. And they wanna know what I'm doing there. They wanna know, do I live there? Do I have ID? And I'm like, 
the woman with the, can we get to the woman who's in trouble? I think I, um, it's something that you just learn to, no, it's not something you learn to live with. It's something you learn to expect and it comes from all quarters and it's exhausting and it's infuriating. And then a George Floyd happens and you're, you're saying logical conclusion, logical conclusion. So yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I, a part of the reason I knew that George Floyd was going to be a play. Then January 6th happened and I knew what kind of a play it would be. And January the 6th was the invasion of the, the place in America. The, uh, not yeah. No, sorry. Because I remember watching it on TV and thinking in real time, this is, this is racism in action. You know, there were people who were saying, oh, no, it was anger about the, 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 no, it wasn't anger about, it was anger that people other than those who have the privilege and always have had the privilege and will continue to have the privilege, that suddenly somebody else was telling them no. And it was violent. And it was also, there were, actually, there were two things going on. Like, I had had this feeling that, um, it was like the four years that uh, that man was in the White House were like being in a uh, violent marriage where dad was uh, prone to uh, sudden outbursts to uh, and was dangerous. And everybody had to play their role. Everybody had to be good. Everybody had to uh, fall in line. Everybody had to do what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted. And when he didn't get his way, there would be violence. And so to, you know, and I, I remember writing this, this essay, you know, half tongue in cheek, but also real saying, America, you in trouble, girl, because we were getting ready to say goodbye to dad. And we know that in violent um, relationships, the recipient of violence is in the most danger when they're about to leave the relationship. And true to form, Trump, ooh, I can't even believe I said his name, true to form, he was about to be shown the door and he turned to violence. He turned rage on the body politic. And I just, um, you know, so these two things collided and I, I was lucky I was in a writing group. I was invited to a writing group at a place called Echo Theater. Um, and I knew exactly what I was going to write, and so the play just kind of wrote itself. Just yeah, kinda... I mean, it was. It was. I mean, we obviously are not as involved as, as you are in this, but we saw all the scenes, and it it was just. And I suppose there's a I get with that, you know, the kind of the history of. I, I found that quite interesting. The upper pro, I think that there's the the, um, the ambassadors to uh, places, uh, Commonwealth countries, you know, yeah. the old get more money than than others. And apparently the ambassador in the States gets more money than other. And I was saying to this guy, going, how is that? And he said, well, because apparently we've never, when I say we, the UK has never acknowledged America yeah. <laughs> as anything else. And it was just, and it, I mean, it's kind of, it is sort of slight, slight, I think I think America's done all right since then, chaps. I think you've done all right. But it was, it was just, and it just kind of struck a slight chord of this old, and we're talking a lot at the moment about the old colonialism and the, 
those those history i suppose in a sense i mean it's a horrible situation i mean my granddad said the, my my dad especially was very very uh aware of of, of color prejudice because he said we had it but we kind of we blend in you know we're not as noticeable he also made the point that if we if we were as as animals which we are anything that's a bit different might eat you if you're in the jungle you know but that was millions of years ago we've we've kind of moved on a little bit since then but i suppose in a sense, it's good at least, however hurtful and harmful and horrible it is, it's good at least, do you think, that we're now having a conversation, that it's actually a I think it's conversation. conversation. Because, as I you know, it was a one way, it was, it had been one way for so long. It had just been screaming in the wilderness for so long. Um, and it had been... Um, seeing, uh, li living a life that was different from the norm and uh, what was ex perceived as the norm. And so like, I think of Colin Kaepernick when the football player knelt and, you know, everybody got up in arms and, you know, that man went on TV and was like, well, you know, do bad things to him and to them. The screaming in the wilderness had been, we are saying that the, country you say you are is not who we perceive and experience on a daily basis and we can't prove it to you but we're going to sit down we're going to sit this out we're going to sit down your self-praise and that elicited not let's have a conversation what it elicited is you're lying you're the problem shut up and Again, what happened with George Floyd was you couldn't say sit down, shut up. People managed to, but like you, you know, the, your question was, is it good that we're, ha isn't it at least good to have the conversation? And yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, the truth will out and the truth will set you free. Um, it is good. It's important. And sad to say that it requires a visual to make the conversation relevant to those most invested in things staying the way they are, but whatever it takes, whatever it takes to have the conversation. And I, I, I say that sadly, because it also means that someone died to have the conversation. Yes, I mean, that, that I can't breathe. It's just so heartbreaking, isn't it? I mean, kind of, uh, uh, and, yeah, I mean, again, it's not for me to say, but in a sense, that horrible situation hopefully wasn't in vain because it will. I, I mean, how do we go about changing people's attitudes, though, as such? Um, I don't know. I think it's living together, but in the same reality. I think that. OK, another example. When I was a little kid, we would say the pledge. We'd have to. We had to say the pledge of allegiance. Had to say the pledge of allegiance. And I just remember, even as a little kid, going, "Why do I have to say the pledge of allegiance? The country you're talking about doesn't include me." I knew that as a kid. And when I got to college, I was watching a TV a TV movie. It was about a uh, black. A Vietnam veteran who died was brought home and couldn't be buried in his hometown cemetery because he was black. 
And I came out after the movie, came out to my friends, you know, in the in the, la the, the college lounge, you know, in the dorm. I was a freshman. And I come out and I'm upset because this thing happened on the TV. And why my country? And why would I say the Pledge of Allegiance? If they... And my friend looked at me very angrily and said, well, my country right or wrong. And when you're starting there, you're starting from... Your reality does not mean anything to me. There's nowhere to, there's no way to have change. So I think that again, unfortunately he is an angel now and a light for it, but bringing everyone into the same reality. So we're not making these apples to oranges comparisons about life. Um, it's about listening and genuinely receiving another person's way of living in the world, another person's presence in the world. I mean, the thing about um, culture is that it only speaks for a certain few. Everybody else just kind of like crams themselves into the corners and sort of like kind of clings onto the, you know, clings to the fringes. And like, if you watch, if you read John Berger's way of seeing, it, it's an amazing book because it talks about how culture really does frame your your reality. And I think that when your eyes are closed and your ears are stopped up and you're going, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true, because it's not true for me, you know? So I think that how we get to a different place is receiving each other's reality and believing other each other's reality. Because as, as a four-year-old, I am trained in what my place is in the United States. Little white kids are not trained to understand my reality because it's not my culture, mm. you know? So I think it's, it's, and it's about not um, putting the onus on those of us at the margins to do the proving. Yeah. Look, appreciate your privilege. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, spend your whole life flagellating yourself for it, but recognize your privilege, just accept it and then go from there believe people when they tell you this hurts and go from there. Yes. And we've, we had the whole situation over here with the Windrush generation as well, quite where a lot of British people were brought over. And, and then, I mean, you probably know the situation and, and all of a sudden some of them were illegal immigrants. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I say it's ridiculous. I shouldn't, you know, trivialize something, but, but most, I'm sure most people look at that and go, hang on a minute. I mean, I suppose in a sense, the emotion of the George, uh, George Floyd thing as well, that most decent, honest people, I would argue, would, would look at a situation like that and say, this is just wrong on every level. Um, yeah. We must talk with, I'm Nick Hennigan. This is uh, Residence 104.4 FM, a fascinating conversation with, with artist June Carroll, who's bringing her production Blue, which did uh, very well at the Edinburgh Festival. She's bringing it to London um, in March, uh, March 2024. We'll give you the dates and the links later on. So um, how did the, just tell us a bit about your, your creative background. How did you end up as a performer? Were your parents involved at all? No, uh, my mother was a professor, uh, assistant professor of nutrition and dietetics. My father was a geologist. I was supposed to be a lawyer. Um, I, uh, uh, my, uh, my mom's best friend, Lejeune, and my history teacher, uh, Ms. Piasek, um, sort of 
we militated that what my path was going to be was Brown University for undergraduate and then University of Chicago for law school and did the Brown part. I got in. It was great. It was amazing. I, I, I saw the, uh, the campus brochure. And I was like, that's where I'm going. Got into Brown, uh, took uh, political science as my uh, major and failed miserably. It was like I could do the theory for days. I loved the theory, and I loved the uh, the, the 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 um the story of the law, you know. And I thought, yeah, I'm gonna be a lawyer, and I'm gonna gonna grow up and become a Supreme Court justice. And I was serious about that. I was gonna be a Supreme Court justice, but I couldn't handle the facts, the the numbers, you know, the 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 you know. And so I floundered and then um, slept through every LSAT, the preparatory exam for uh, law school, got to the last round, woke up and was like, I'm not going. I haven't um, gotten uh, a, a single apprenticeship. I'm not interested in it. I'm too shy to do it. I mean, of all things, I'm too shy to um, do all the things that lawyers and soon to be future lawyers are supposed to do. So bailed on the last round of LSATs. I uh, transferred, um, I, I got the degree, but then um, transitioned to the English Lit Department. Stayed at Brown, but transitioned to English Literature. Um, took a bunch of courses, fiction, uh, survey courses, took a, a, a survey of uh, theater course. and encountered uh, Ubu Wa, and for my midterm decided to write my sort of play response to Ubu Wa. And, um, you know, it's this crazy play about a, a, a king who's just kind of a disaster. And, um, you know, it's sort of a, uh, I think it's a, a, probably a, a, a Scottish play, but funny. And um, got drafted into my, uh, the, the professor was Paula Vogel. She asked me, hey, do you want to join my uh, playwriting class? And I was like, sure, okay. Joined her playwriting class. And then um, we were doing another, we were doing a, a project, a group project, a soap opera. And I got drafted into the soap opera because it was midterms again, and we had no actors because everybody was studying for midterms. Uh, and so I got drafted into the play and uh, started acting as a result of that, and then st and started play and was playwright, you know, writing plays. And you know, my first play was a disaster, and my second play was a disaster, and my third play was, mm. and it was just sort of like keep at it, 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 and kept acting at the same time. And uh, yeah, here we are. And you've done you've done quite a bit of acting, haven't you? As well, you've had sort of uh, various was it TV and. Um... You've done television stuff, so I'm just looking at my little notes here. I haven't seen the play either. <laughs> <laughs> which you, which you prefer? Is, is, are you prefer reacting or the writing? You know, I don't have a preference because each gives me something different. I think that I love what what I love about acting is I get to inhabit other people and be as fully myself as I am capable. Because in real life. I have been in the habit of shrinking, but on stage and in TV, you have to, you can't shrink. So I have to be brave. So it forces, acting forces me to be brave and writing allows me to speak my truth.
Yeah. And what's what's your what's your writing process? We have a lot of writers that listen to this and watch this now. Of course, you can see us on BohemianBritain.com uh, and also on various YouTube shows. It's got a lovely mural behind it. Mural? Is that what you call it? Paintings, artworks behind it. So what's your what's your writing process? And do you use any particular tools? Um, you know, it actually varies from play to play because each play comes at me different. I am finding that a play starts with a conversation in my head that I can't get out of my head. And I build, I, so I know two characters, sometimes three characters, and I know the setting and a very specific conversation comes up and I build the play from that very specific conversation. Um, I think I'm always a, they're always, uh, there's always a theme. I'm, I'm finding this out. There is a theme that sort of infects the, conversation um you know and like george the, the what became blue was a wow the, the word wow and two people in a room sort of seeing each other after not having been together in a very long time um but underneath it was wow you really have done something terrible and wow i'm so glad that you are my ally in this the two sides of this conversation that just falls apart yeah yeah, yeah it might be difficult and you were a panster or a planner as an american writer once said to me i guess i'm sort of a panther <laughs> it's not a good look <laughs> uh, i had to ask twice what it meant so, so, yeah so you see to the pants you're you're kind of you're kind of right, right as it comes yeah, I mean, I think the first draft is sort of seat of the pants, but then um, once I have a clear idea of what the conversation is, then I can go back and retool and actually form and shape and, you know, crystallize and find the structure. Do you use any particular software or is it just typewriter? Typewriter, just to me, the laptop and... I, I stuck with Word for so long and then found out that Writer Duet, of all things, um, not, uh, what's the other one, the one that everybody uses, um, can't even think of it, but Writer Duet really is, really puts me in good, holds me in good stead. It stands me in good stead. It's it's good. I really like it. Um, and it's as close to, um, what? the wordsmiths of old used to do you know it's just like it's as close to sticking to a piece of paper as i can get without actually going back to paper pen totally yes i actually use a little there's a, there's a little sort of a little pen that's got a camera in the end that digitizes but it doesn't digitize my handwriting very well so i can't i can't usually recommend it Ooh. So, well how fantastic so uh um your opening let me get me the dates now in march uh at uh into, i'm really on it here aren't I? i'm just looking at the director michael matthews who's directing the show he's amazing uh, yeah again at the end and it was the world where was the world premiere? a road machine the world premiere here in los angeles yeah Woo shout out to them and to betsy jaiko for uh carrying the play to them um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we ran in Ro at Rogue Machine starting in April, uh, and then, um, Edinburgh, and then we open, uh, we are, we have previews the 5th. 5th of March. Uh, and then we open on the 8th of March. Which is right. And have you been to the Seven Dials Playhouse before? Never been. I've never, never been. Um, uh, Katie Peskin, who is the program director, saw the show in Edinburgh and was like, hey, do you want to? 
come do a show? <laughs> I was like, yeah, please. <laughs> it's in a lovely part of the world as well. And are you going? Are you coming over for it? Will you be here for the press night? I will be here because I'm actually doing the role again. Of course, you're performing it. Yes, of course. That's right. I've just seen a picture of you in it. Brilliant. So you're performing it as well. Fantastic. I know there's a chap called Tim Marriott who's bringing a show to uh, to London. He's he's had various other actors performing in it. But anyway, that's that's another story, and you'll find out more about that. Oh, thank you so much uh, for your time, June. Um, I say I, I said it at fly past, and it already it already has done. Um, so I'll just repeat that. It's June Carroll, who you can see. In fact, you can see her right now if you're watching on BohemianBritain.com. Hello, thank you. Um, uh, at the uh, the play is called Blue. It's a Fringe First winning production, coming from the Edinburgh Festival, well, from Los Angeles, via the Edinburgh Fringe, and it's at the Seven Dials Playhouse from the fifth to the thirtieth of March. Um, have you got a particular? Have you got your own website, June? If anyone wants to find out any more about you personally. If you want to find out, it's actually probably better just to follow me on uh, Instagram, June Carroll, J-U-N-E-C-A-R-R-Y-L on Instagram. And um, yeah, I, uh, I have a website, but you know, Lord knows I don't do yeah. as much as I should with it. But yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. I yell a lot. Um, <laughs> and <this laughs> the, um, the blue Instagram, blue the play. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I should check all those out afterwards. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. And thank you for your company. I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Literary London on BohemianBritain.com and on YouTube because we're recording this. Uh, but mainly, of course, on Residence 104.4 FM. <laughs>